Hello, my little Jaffa Cakes. Welcome to This Fucking Guy, a podcast about self-care, if self-care is one long scream into the void. Here is where we use expletives and alcohol to emotionally process the creeps, jerks, and P-words that compose the shitty elevator music of our lives. It was only a kiss, Ren Martinez. It was only a kiss, Ginger Golub. And welcome once again to uh, <laughs> our 2021 journey to slowly recite the entirety of Mr. Brightside throughout the introductions. Welcome uh, again to a podcast where two bisexual millennial girls go through the entirety of their like prepubescent soundtrack <laughs> to make sure everyone knows what puberty felt like for us. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This oh, is God. our big mouth. So this is our big mouth. We also, at this point, I'm like straight up out of dichotomies. I need this time to recharge because, like, I'm never going to write anything better than vocal top and auditory power bottom. That's that. You know, that's true. Like that, I think defined us as a podcast and as people. And I don't think I can ever go back from that. I mean, we we can decide once this is over if we keep switching it out or if that's just what it is forever. <laughs> it but I mean, feels true. Yeah, I mean, we've still got two thirds of Mister Brightside. <laughs> like, that's there's true. time. There's time to think. That, that. is true. Ah, <sighs> so Ren, my darling, uh, is there is there anything you need to scream into the void? Well, other than pre-recording where I keep lamenting of the fact that I've had essentially a clogged nose for three weeks. It's been great. I love winter and allergies. Um, I did want to talk a little bit about Gina Carano. Oh, okay. <laughs> thought we were going to go full impeachment. We're upset. We're not going to talk about it beyond that. Gina Carano, it's, give it to me. There's so many good takes about the impeachment. And there's also a lot of good takes about Gina Carano. Yeah. But I find it really funny. I do not watch The Mandalorian um, because I don't have a Disney Plus account. And I keep forgetting my sister's passwords for their own accounts. Right. So um, we just leave it up to Susie Cream Cheese to watch it for us and then reenact it with um her baby Yoda doll. All I know is that I still want to fuck Pedro Pascal and oh, he has big daddy energy. Mm. That's what I got. Mm. Um, but I do know that, like, Gina Carano's, like, kind of like a hot, thick lady, which generally I do appreciate and love, because I love a woman who could, like, kill me with her thighs. Like, that's a look, and I'm into it. Um, the whole, like, racism thing is, like, less of the look that I'm into. Eh. So, when she got fired, it was so funny to me how many people are shouting, cancel culture this is cancel culture she was canceled and i'm like y'all are all into like free market enterprise capitalism bullshit aren't you all about businesses yeah. and like anti-unions they can fire you for like having too spicy a lunch in the break room get out of here with this nonsense and particularly because it's like disney and it's like disney has this very i don't know if you've heard of them Family-friendly image. Yeah. They, their, their image is kind of important to their marketing. So, like, when you work for them, you gotta keep your fucking mouth shut. Like, you gotta? <laughs> yeah, I mean, okay, so I, I, I talked to um, my domestic Jew about the issue. I was, like, out of curiosity, what do you think about this whole thing? And he's like, well, first of all, she's hot as fuck. And I was like, correct, go on. And then he was like, and she said a dumb thing, but I don't think it was worth getting fired over. But also, I don't care. And I was like, those are exactly my sentiments as well. This is one of those things kind of like being dad where I'm like, we certainly do have better things to do. But my God, this is entertaining. But did you hear about her next gig? Oh, uh, yeah. Just the idea of her going from the fucking Mandalorian to making some fucking some Rager fucking U movie uh, for Ben Shapiro's uh, Daily Wire is just like, 
Woo! I haven't seen that steep a fall from grace in a long time. See, that happened so quickly that I kind of think Disney found out about that and was like, you can't, though. And that's why she lost the job. And then she's just reveling in, like, but it's cancel culture, which promotes the movie and promotes the Ben Shapiro thing for people who are into that. Like, I think, I, I think that that's probably what happened. This is my own very dumb conspiracy theory. But I saw a tweet today that made me laugh a lot, a lot, which is what reminded me of Gina Carano, which is, it was a comment about the fact that she was going over to the, the news, <laughs> news website of the Daily Caller to do this movie. And apparently, this dude tweeted us, like, apparently one of his co-workers called it Xenophobic Warrior Princess. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, oh, mm, beautiful. Oh, mm. just mwah, chef's It's kiss. so accurate. So tasty. Uh, Lucy Lawless would never do that. Oh, no. Lucy Lawless is a treasure and uh, a gay awakening for so many of us. Uh, more like Lucy Flawless, am I right? Actually, if we're going to talk about Gay Awakenings, I also want to talk about, just for a little bit, how we've come together as a country to all lust after the 10-foot-tall vampire lady in the upcoming <laughs> Resident <laughs> 8 video game. Because, like, sometimes Reek likes to laugh that not everything's gay. Did your husband tell you this, too? Yes, but Reek, you know, likes to laugh at, like, that not everything's gay, and then I'm like, baby, I'm gay all the time. And, like, we, you know, it's like a joke. But then he's like, hey, have you heard about this, like, 10-foot-tall vampire lady from Resident Evil 8? I'm like, oh, you mean the one I want to step on me? He's like, me too! Oh my god! Yes! And so, of course, we as husband and wife bonded over both wanting mm -hmm. to be mm -hmm. sexually dominated by this lady, and the entire internet, straight men, gay men, straight women, gay women, non-binary people, people of all across the gender spectrum, we've all come together holding hands to say, please step on us, hot vampire lady. Yeah. <laughs> it's just, building bridges through hot vampire ladies, my... My boyfriend fiance husband came home on Friday and was like, Gingy, I reached out to Reek for the first time in the longest time because I missed him and I want to rekindle the friendship. And I was like, oh, really? What did you talk about? And he's like, wanted to get stepped on by that 10 foot vampire lady. <laughs> yeah, yeah. My understanding is how that conversation went was very similar in that like, hey, Reek. Hey, did you hear about that 10 foot tall vampire lady? <laughs> I did. Do you also want to be stepped on her? Fuck yeah, I do. Fuck yeah, I do. <laughs> and then them talking about for like 30 minutes what kind of shoes that they would prefer she yeah. wear while they step on them. Which is just like, again, bringing communities together. That's really what we need in 2021. Yeah. Just unity. <laughs> well, on that note. <laughs> huh, yeah, I think since... Resident Evil 8 and Hot 10-Foot-Tall Vampire Lady is not actually available at this time, other than it mm. means mm -mm. we have to get different therapy. Oh, yes. So let's go. All right, Genji. It is time. Why don't you tell me about this fucking guy? Well, Ren, this is it, this is my Valentine's Day tribute to you because, Aww. I mean, if there's one thing that represents me, it's new spicy informative memes, and if there's one thing that represents you, it's musical theater. Yes, I, I will preface this by saying not everyone we research or podcast about is one of history's greatest monsters. Like Nikola Tesla and Warren G. Harding, sometimes a guy's this fuckingness comes from a long list of weird beard choices that he or she has made. And I decided to do this guy because there are a number of memes making the rounds about his weird behavior, and I figured if I'm going to put the effort into researching whether these are true, I'm damn sure going to get a podcast out of it, and also Ren would like this thing. So, have you ever heard of Victor Marie Hugo? I have. I know he was 
super into buildings. Yes. One in particular. Yes. It has been said. It has been said. (laughs) And yes, he wrote that one very sad book that was very, well, both were sad. Mm -hmm. But it was specifically called The Sad People. And and then they decided, let's make a musical about it so everyone can cry at the very sad people. Yes. Do you hear the people sing, singing the songs of angry men? (laughs) I thought about researching so many Les Mis uh, puns to put in this, and I was like, don't do it. Just let her do it. (laughs) Just let her loose on this. Like... Full disclosure, I have never seen Les Mis. I somehow have lived these last 32 years without that in my life. Um, also, I thought I was going to get more of a rise out of his middle name being Marie. It, he's very frank. Victor Marie. He was born on February 26, 18 on you in... 18 on you? <laughs> it, I'm just... Ugh, I'm just prepping my French accent. It's going to be maybe worse than my German accent. You could be like, I was reading up on, um, my family and I were watching the live action Beauty and the Beast, so I, and kept telling me, stop talking about the stupid yellow dress. We know what's bad and ugly. Um, <laughs> but apparently Ewan McGregor had to work like six months to get his French accent because as a Scot, he was like, these aren't computing. No. So, like, I appreciate your effort, the same effort, I am sure. My months of effort preparing for this podcast. <laughs> he was born in February 26, 1802, in Bessillon, <laughs> in eastern France. His father was a general in the Napoleonic Wars, and his mother's maiden name was Trebuchet, which cool. Wikipedia doesn't say so, but I believe she was the heiress to a catapult fortune. I believe it. That's an awesome. That's that sounds like some fucking last name you hear in someone's like D and D campaign. It's extremely good. I did actually look her up, and she what she was a painter. She was actually a very good painter, uh, and was descended from low level nobility. No word on catapults. Victor's dad Leopold later wrote to his son that Victor had been conceived. Great start on one of the highest peaks in the Vosges. Mountains, quote, This elevated origin seems to have had effects on you that your muse is now continually sublime. (coughs) I'm sorry. Hold on. So they were like, hello, son, who we love. love." So I just want you to know, me and your mom fucked, right? And we Mm -hmm. fucked on a fucking mountain peak like that's literally i fucked her so good she got pregnant that's why you're pretty good at stuff because i fucked her on a mountain today the precise location of victor hugo's conception is marked with a stone tablet i can go to where victor hugo's parents fucked and have like a picnic yeah yeah imagine having a stone tablet put somewhere to tell people that you fucked that good. I don't... I'm trying to think of where my parents fucked to conceive me. And I imagine... Why would you wonder? I imagine it's in some fucking, like, apartment somewhere in, like, central Virginia that, like, they lived in for a year. Like... <laughs> <laughs> like... Here, 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 the stone tablet on, like, Avalon Inn's, like, four apartment rentals from the 1970s. Probably doesn't even exist anymore. There's probably a Chipotle there. You may or may not want to cut this out. Like, my mom definitely went through this phase where she really wanted me to be a writer, um, which I'm doing this instead. It's close enough. It's good Uh, enough. It involves writing. Um... I am good at the writing. I am bad at having ideas. So this is really perfect for me. But um, <laughs> she she told me sort of in that phase that I was destined to become a writer because I was conceived at the Algonquin Hotel. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love this energy. It's like if you just feel like your child is meant to be a great artist, you're, you just have to let them know their conception story. If they're going to become a doctor or a lawyer, they don't need to know that shit. Like, only artists need to know. Yeah. 
And and I appreciate that energy. And I am so sorry for mentioning it on this <laughs> podcast. Or Mazel Tov, depending on how you feel about it at this point. Um, Victor Hugo, because he was like not content to just to just let there be a stone tablet marking where his parents fucked, um, would later retell the story with the additional embellishments that the Celtic sanctuary on the summit was a Roman temple of love. Um, he would claim that the obscure mountain was the much more glamorous and much taller Mont Blanc. And he also claimed that his mother was a half-wild Amazonian. <laughs> I mean, in bed. <laughs> I mean, she was, she was born in France. I mean, again, like, if that's, if those are the laurels upon which you want to lay your talent, I I would just say I write good, but okay. Um, I don't need to talk about how how good my parents fucked mm-hmm. in order to talk about my own writing abilities, but you know. He also um made the date of his conception uh I think uh Jean Valjean's inmate number. So he's horny on Maine. I get it. Mm. <laughs> You have no idea. (laughs) Victor's dad, Leopold, was a favorite of Napoleon and his brother, Joseph Bonaparte, who was the king of Spain at the time. Joey Bones made Leopold a count, uh, but France didn't recognize the title, so Leopold just gave himself a noble title in France, which is a fucking weird look if you're against the monarchy, but okay. Then Daddy Hugo started doing so bad at war that everyone got mad at him and left his name off the Arc de Triomphe in Paris. He was a lover, not a fighter. Eh. Unlike his anti-monarchist atheist Republican father, his mom, old Sophie Trebuchet, was a devout Catholic royalist. Because of this shit, and also the constant moving required by military life, his parents separated, and Victor and his siblings settled with their mother in Paris in 1803. She then began seeing General Victor Fanot Lahorie, sure, who was Hugo's godfather. Oh, okay. In October 1807, though, the family rejoined Leopold and found out that old daddy Hugo had been living in secret with an English woman named Catherine Thomas. That's slut. It's so French. Um, just <laughs> a year. That's so French. That's so French. Just a year later, uh, Leopold sent the rest of the family back to Paris to live in an old convent. They hid old General Victor in the chapel out back. Because, oopsie-daisy, he had conspired to restore the Bourbon monarchy (laughs) and had been condemned to death a few years earlier. But he did become a mentor to Victor and his brothers. As you do. As you do. Also, I don't know where to put this, and I couldn't find any corroborating sources, but one article I read claimed that when five-year-old Victor cried, uh, his mom dressed him as a girl for punishment. I mean, okay, that's definitely the beginning of several stories about serial killers. Yeah. Um, hmm. I mean, that's, you know. Also, how would you do that? Because, like, in the olden times, like, girls and boys wore dresses until basically yeah. <laughs> the balls dropped. You know what I mean? They all wore the same nightgown, essentially, until they were, like, ten years old and, like, could work a field. Yeah, I I feel like this is one of those things that's not true. There were a whole bunch of things that I was like, this is definitely apocryphal. Uh, that had worked their way into the memes, like his foot fetish, which like I couldn't find any. Th- they all like cited back to this one article that was just like, and he had a foot fetish, like that. I mean, cited he probably did because he's French, but like probably. But yeah, during the fall of the Napoleonic Empire and away from the family drama, Victor actually got to have an education. He got a fucking law degree, Um, although my sources claim his studies seem to have been purposeless and irregular. Insane. Okay. I mean, Yeah. 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 Victor fell in love and secretly became engaged against his mother's wishes to his childhood friend Adèle Fouché. In June 1821, Sophie Trebuchet finally died. I don't know what of, but I'm guessing a catapult was involved. Um, and Leopold married his longtime mistress, Catherine Thomas, a month later. 
Couldn't have huh. given that, like, couple months. Yeah, the ground hadn't even settled yet. Nope, nope. Um, and Victor married Adele the following year. There's not a lot of information on the wedding itself, but nearly every source I read gleefully noted that Victor had sex with his wife nine times on their wedding night, which feels a little excessive, but also very French. I mean, okay. Wait, there, a couple things. <laughs> who wrote that down? Like, who was writing he, that down? We'll get to it. Okay. So, like, he had his cl- a sex diary where he just needed everyone to know. Also, you can lie in those. But um, do we mean, like, nine times of, like, penetrative intercourse? Because, like, sex can mean a lot of different things to mm-hmm. the French. I mean... Like, if you just, like, flutter your sleeves the right way, someone can consider that sex. So it's like, let's take this with a grain of salt. You know what I mean? Sure. Also, get, let that lady sleep. Let her sleep. <laughs> She's got to be so tired. A wedding is very draining. On their honeymoon, he wrote her lots of love letters and poems, like the French bastard that he was. Um, one love letter was a verse enclosed in an envelope with a live bat. <laughs> Honestly, that's my kind of move. That I didn't sa- do that. That sounds like something I would do. And I'm, I'm, that was the thing that I read in a meme. And I was like, well, I guess this is a podcast. I love that. I am into that. Dude, if someone sent me a love letter with a, like a live bat, I'd be like, oh, I'm clearly in love with this person. Like, yes. I have to run away with this person and our bat. How did you catch this bat? How did you get the bat in the envelope? <laughs> We had this whole discussion uh, with my family this weekend. My parents have had at least six bats in their house in, like, the last ten years. They're being stalked by a vampire. Um, We think there's some sort of hole in, like, the attic slash chimney that, like, that's how they get in. But there's been several live bats. And then there was one time the bat had not gotten inside the walls of the house but was in the wall itself because oh. we're like all hanging out one christmas and we hear this <laughs> like and we're like dad there's a bat here and he's and of course, he's fucking deaf at this point he's like what what are you talking about and we're like there's a bat in your wall and you can hear the wings and shit and he's like i don't know if i can't hear it it's not there <laughs> like dad dad so my parents live um in a belfry yeah. <laughs> and there is a vampire stalking them. And he hasn't figured out how to get in, but it is a matter of time. Uh, Hugo and Adele had five children over the course of just seven years. Woof. Their first son, Leopold, died in infancy, but they had two additional sons and two additional daughters. After their youngest daughter, Adele, was born, Victor's wife finally rolled him off of her and said, Can you please get a bit of rest? And allegedly never had <laughs> sex with him again. <laughs> Like, dude, man, honestly, I'm done. I'm like, done. I'm, I'm done. I'm done with this. <laughs> uh, that seems to have just been fine with Victor, though, as he was banging everything that wasn't nailed down at that point. Furniture. Uh, bats. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Hugo's biographer notes, quote, his wife is a handsome woman with flashing black eyes who looks as if she might poison his breakfast any morning. Sounds like my kind of lady. <laughs> she did not poison him, but did her fair share of fucking around as well, including being visited daily by the critic Sambov, disguised in a nun's habit. Uh, you know, no kink shaming. We're not going to kink shame this episode. No. Nope. It's... Everything I read is just slightly more French than the thing that came before it. Uh, Victor published a shitload of poetry with very French names, so I'm not going to read them. Uh, He then turned his eye to novels, which didn't always come easy to him, and he suffered from writer's block. Multiple sources say that to combat this, he would give his clothes to his servants, lock himself nude inside his study, and not be allowed to put on clothes until he'd finished a chapter. As a writer who really is very bad at actually writing things, if I had an editor or an agent, that's absolutely what they would do to me. They would absolutely be like, you're not allowed out of this room. 
You are just locked in here, and with a pen and paper, you don't get your phone. You don't even get that. Because, um, yeah, yeah. Writers are good at very many things, but writing is not somehow, one of them. <laughs> somehow not one of them. In her memoirs, Victor's wife, Adele, wrote that when writing The Hunchback of Notre Dame, the author purchased, quote, a huge gray knitted shawl which swathed him from head to foot, locked his formal clothes away so that he would not be tempted to go out, and entered his novel as if it were a prison. He was very sad. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my god, I love this man because he's so me. Because I absolutely have been like, I'm not allowed to wear clothes today. I'm just going to be in my velvet robe and lock myself away so I can write this podcast episode so Ginger doesn't have to send me sad looks over texts. <laughs> and, like, I get it. Uh, But, yeah, in 1831, he published one of his most enduring works, Notre Dame de Paris, or The Hunchback of Notre Dame. The novel presents a harsh criticism of the society that degrades and shuns the hunchback Quasimodo. This was Hugo's most celebrated work to date and paved the way for his subsequent political writing. Now, the politics are what get the most attention here, but one of the main reasons that he wrote the book was because he was really into old medieval architecture, ding, 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 like you said, um, and historical preservation was not a thing back then. Um So he wrote The Hunchback of Notre Dame to draw people's attention to the building itself, which was, like, crumbling, and it worked. It fucking worked. Yeah. Good job, Victor Hugo. Yeah, I I think that's one of the coolest things about it that, like, no one really understands is that, like, he actually really didn't give a shit about, like, the relationships. Like, it wasn't Mm -hmm. really about the Hunchback or Esmeralda. It was about creating characters that people would connect to so they would give a shit about the building the thing that victor hugo actually gave a shit yes about. <laughs> it's like do they know it's christmas isn't really about the music no <laughs> god knows it's not about the music Ugh. okay uh and then he publishes shitload more novels and some poetry that the internet assures me is very good but I've never read it and I don't plan to because it's not my bad and I don't speak French you may have noticed. Uh Victor also wrote a bunch of plays. One reason for this was because he was having an affair with an extremely hot actress Julie Druitt. Or, not Julie Druitt. Juliet Druet. <laughs> I mean that is the artist way. That is la vie bohème. Where you start fucking an actress and suddenly you become a playwright. You yes. fuck a singer, suddenly mm. you're writing songs. Suddenly. Like, <laughs> that's just how it works, baby. Oh. <laughs> Despite his apparent willingness to write parts for her, many sources state that she was a bad actress who was just so in love with him so she renounced the stage in order to devote herself exclusively to him becoming his secretary and mistress for 50 goddamn years until her death in 1883 Juliet often shut herself indoors and usually only left the house when Hugo accompanied her she also wrote 20,000 letters to or about him, although to be fair, a lot of these were about how he was an asshole because he was still fucking everything else that wasn't nailed down. First of all, you should have known better. You sh- mm. you knew he was fucking everything. Oh, yeah. But also, like, baby, the dick, the, the dick ain't that good. Like, you don't need to be a shut But was it? No! There is no dick so good that I would give up my career and be a shut-in, like, just to service the dick when it chose to come home. <laughs> Nuh-uh. Nope. Nuh-uh, baby. Like, <laughs> it's Paris. Go walk in a garden. Like, go get yourself some, like, brie and toast or some shit. Like, get out of the house. The, fr- the, the French experience involves visiting the Notre Dame Cathedral, eating baguettes, and getting some of that shut-in dick. Actually, by Notre Dame, which, by the way, my husband and I visited on our honeymoon, like, a week like before it caught on fire. fire. 
beautiful building. Um, but in that same district, uh, there is an amazing ice cream place that's very famous. And I got like this salted caramel that was to fucking die for. So go eat ice cream at Notre Dame. That's that's the thing to do. That's the best way to experience it. Mm-hmm. When it's not on fire, I would avoid the fire. Yeah. I think it's out now. Probably. Mm. <laughs> Hellfire! <laughs> fire. Uh So you may be wondering at this point how we know uh, that he was fucking everything that wasn't nailed down and that he how he boned his wife for nine times on their wedding night. As an obsessive writer and an erotomaniac, Hugo would meticulously record every one of his sexual encounters in a journal using code and abbreviations to hide the details. What is he, a 13-year-old boy with a clubhouse? Pretty much. Most of the code has been cracked, but speculation still abounds. For instance, in one entry, he refers to an SB, which may or may not have been famed actress Sarah Bernhardt. Hugo's libido was apparently unsatisfied j- by just the fucking by itself. Uh, and at his home, he reportedly installed peepholes into his guest bedrooms so he could surreptitiously watch his friends. Okay, no, there's a difference between wanting to fuck everybody consensually and being a fucking creep. Okay? That's not so French. You don't, that's not a French thing being a creep. Yeah. Being French is like having a salon where everyone is being eaten out at the same time while listening to gorgeous music. (laughs) That is French. One thing that is extremely French, there was this woman named Alice Ozzy, who is an actress in Courtesan. It's Ozzy Y. I'm going to just assume that that's Ozzy. She was having an affair with Victor Hugo's son, Charles, who complained to his father that she was being unfaithful. And Victor said, don't you worry, son. I am on top of this. I will tell you for sure whether she I cheated. I be on top of this. I'll let you know. And he did because he totally fucked Alice himself. <laughs> Much to the just absolute horror of his son. I don't know what you expected. I don't know what his kid expected. Like, he's gonna fuck her. Yeah. <laughs> like, I'm gonna check if she's gonna cheat on you. Let me get the condoms. Hold on a minute. (laughs) Son, sorry to report, she absolutely jumped on this dick. So she did cheat on you, in fact. Like, In 1843, Hugo's oldest daughter, Leopoldine, was in a boat on the Seine, which overturned, throwing her into the water. Her heavy clothing caused her to drown, and her husband, Charles Vacri, drowned as well trying to save her, and she was only 19. Hugo was in the south of France at the time and did not find out about this tragedy until he read about it in the fucking newspaper. Ooh. Ooh. Uh, Victor wrote some really great poetry about it, um, but his real relief reportedly came from starting a new novel, which became Les Miserables. After a number of years, this episode's just going to be titled <laughs> American Women Try to Pronounce Les Miserables. I, one of the nice things about when, when my husband and I did our honeymoon, we popped into the Netherlands first, and then we were in Belgium. I and bet then you we popped in into France. the Netherlands on your honeymoon. And And first of all, I'm much better at Dutch (laughs) than I am at French. I bet you are. For some reason. (laughs) Um, But the thing that's really nice about Europe is that as long as you attempt to speak the language, the locals will just speak English for you. Like, they're like, oh, that's very cute, American. Like, don't worry about Mm -hmm. it. We got this. So in France, as long as I said, bonjour, and like... Pardon, and like, whatever. They were like, ah, dumb American trying to be polite. We're going to speak English to you. Don't Mm -hmm. you worry Mm -hmm. about it. So beyond those things, I got nothing. New. Victor, from what I can tell, started off as a monarchist like his mom uh, and good old General Victor. Um, But then he got a big old, can you hear the people sing Republican boner? 
In 1830, Hugo witnessed the first revolution of his life, the July Revolution. He participated in the Three Glorious Days, as they were known, um, which overthrew Charles X and established a constitutional monarchy. While Victor is sometimes held up as a socialist or leftist hero, revolutionaries at the time got really annoyed at him for catering to the royalty that they kept trying to overthrow. But he was still low-key down with the cause. Hugo was now seized with a new ambition. He wished to become a statesman. When Louis-Philippe, the constitutional monarch, was defeated in the Revolution of 1848, he allowed himself to be elected a deputy to the assembly, which I'm pretty sure is like Congress for that period of time, but the government was changing over about every two years at that point. So who the fuck knows? While he was in office, he was also having an affair, shocker, with another woman, Leonid Daniette. Probably. Probably. This reportedly went on for about seven years, despite the fact that she was also married. It appears that they were caught in adultery uh, on July 5th, 1845. Hugo, a man, avoided condemnation, whereas his mistress had to spend two months in prison in six in a convent. That sounds like the patriarchy. Yep. Mm-hmm. So... Louis Napoleon, or, uh, Napoleon III, was Napoleon Bonaparte's nephew. And Victor really liked him because he was like, establish monarchist roots with the mindset of a revolutionary? Yes, please. What a neolib. Yeah, pretty much. Um, that's actually like a really good analogy for sort of like what victor hugo was which which is just sort of like very much an obama democrat like yeah just putting up really who doesn't love hope and change as yes. long as we keep the establishment yeah but uh yeah then napoleon started doing shit like suspending freedom of the press and uh victor was like can we not uh, and he broke with Napoleon the Third in 1849, which was either really good or really bad timing, depending on how you think of it. Because uh, on December 2nd, 1850, Napoleon the Third declared himself emperor. Uh, uh, like you do. And just seized power. Uh, Hugo called for the people to fight back, and many did. And then, like, hundreds of them were killed in the process. Uh, both of Hugo's sons were jailed. And um, Victor's death was announced to the public, despite him not actually being dead. Oh, um, okay. Yeah, no, no. He, he, so like Tupac. Yeah. Wait, <laughs> what? <laughs> Just like Tupac. Juliet, that sweet woman who was clearly too good for him, saved Victor by finding him a hiding place and then organizing his escape to Brussels in Belgium. Um, She went with him, of course. And from there, they went to the British Channel Islands of Jersey and Guernsey, which don't sound different enough from one another. (laughs) Uh, Guernsey is basically just Jersey if you're drunk. I just know there's a potato peel society there. Yes, Great cows, from what I understand. While in exile, Victor wrote a bunch of slam poetry and critical novels about Napoleon III, talking about how much that dude sucked, and he kept working on Les Mis, which very much also had that vibe. After the publication of three long books of poetry that I don't care to talk about, Hugo returned to prose and took up his abandoned novel, Lindelstrap. <laughs> which was finally published in 1862. I'm going to call it Les Mis from now on. Les you know Mis I've made the fine. Effort. We okay. all know what that means. When negotiating payment with his publisher for Les Mis, Hugo declared, I didn't know you could just do this. Hugo declared that he wanted to be paid more than anyone else had ever been paid to write a book. <laughs> <laughs> Man, what if that... I would love if that worked. <laughs> It did. Somehow that tactic worked, and he got 300,000 francs, which is around $4.5 million in today's money. Luckily for the publisher, 
uh, Les Mis was so hotly anticipated that Parisian workers lined up at bookstores with wheelbarrows so they could buy a whole bunch of books and then resell them at a profit, which is a really ironic use of capitalism. So basically, it's like like the e-ticks market. If there's a, there's a ticket for some sort of show or like concert, and then like all the bots buy it up yeah. first, and then they resell them for like two hundred dollars a ticket. It's like, aw, so glad that yeah. this was has been in among humanity the whole time. I'm so lucky. I don't care about live music. The album's usually better. Fight me. <laughs> Um, the novel brought him instant popularity in France. He's still in exile at this point. Um, and it's speedy translation into many languages. I don't know how they translated so quickly won him fame abroad. If you haven't read it, I don't blame you. It's long as fuck and contains the longest sentence in French literature. It's longer than War and Peace. It's a fucking big book. Yes. It is a punishment of a book <laughs> um i've re- i've read in one place that during the civil war because this is like happening at the same time as the civil war like the book was published in 1862 civil war is approximately like 1865 that soldiers on both sides of the civil war like their bodies were found with copies of les mis in the pockets being like i'm fighting for the revolution man oh my god yeah i mean yeah so yeah uh, One day more. Another day, another destiny. Yeah, I thought for a minute about trying to summarize the novel and then thought, fuck that. It's about revolution and good and evil. Um, That's it. If, kind so of. to to sum up what I know about the novel via the musical, mm-hmm. there's, there's Aladdin, essentially, and he steals a loaf of bread because he's starving. Mm-hmm. And then um, the cop arrests him and is like, man, fuck off with that. It puts him in prison. Yeah. But he eventually gets out, and Aladdin changes his name to Prince Ali. Mm-hmm. Um, during this time, there's a really nice lady who ends up becoming a prostitute because of capitalism and dies because of a plague. He adopts her daughter. And then, like, years pass, and a bunch of college students are really pissed off because of, like, you know the 2008 financial crisis and the fact that all these billionaires are even more billionaire and they're starving in the streets. And they're like, man, wouldn't not starving in the streets be great. And then they sing La Vie Boheme on a table, but they have a point. Yes. And so then Prince Ali comes back with his now grown ass daughter. She falls in love with one of the college grads. Yeah, uh, do. There is the other hot, poor girl. That's like, Oh man, I loved him, but I'm, a poor girl with like a one very artful dirt smear on a cheek. Of course, he's in love with the girl who bathes regularly, like once a week. Um, and then they all decide, let's do this revolution thing, and they all die. The end. The end, everybody. <laughs> like they all die except for college grad and bathes once a week girl, and they they go off to like. To, to to live, live I, one day more. Happily ever after? After the death of everyone they knew? And society not changing because the revolution failed, I guess? But they yeah, have money. I mean, so it's you, okay. can, you can kind of tell that all those dead Civil War soldiers never got to the point where everybody died. They never made it to that. Yeah. To the end of the novel. Empty chairs at empty tables. Um, But yeah, that's, um, there's Les Mis for you. It's it's sad. Hugo started off as a Catholic, but did not stay that way. Um, during Hugo's long absence from France, he held many seances in his home to try and communicate with famous spirits and his daughter. Shit got dark. His wife and children also became depressed. His youngest and only living daughter, Adele, withdrew into a fantasy world until, at last, she ran away from home. Uh, to famously stalk and pursue a British army officer named Albert Pinson, who ignored her affections even when she followed him to Barbados. All right, all right. And then she wrote all about that and became a famous songstress, rolling in the deep. That was about her journey to Barbados. <laughs> about her journey to Barbados. 
Hugo, Victor Hugo, continued his experiments with the supernatural until stopped by the fragile mental state of his son, Charles. I do not know what the fuck happened there. I would love to know if anybody has more information on, like, the seance that bro- broke Charles Hugo. Ooh. Is this the same, is this the same son that he fucked his girl? Yep. Uh, hmm. Yes, it was the seance. The seance broke Charles. Mm. Yeah, like, he fucked his girl, but his son still followed him to fucking Guernsey. (laughs) It's weird. Um, Hugo's wife left him uh, to live in Brussels, where she died in 1868. Juliet, of course, stayed with him the whole time. Although Napoleon III granted amnesty for all political exiles in 1859, Hugo declined this amnesty and stayed in exile because returning to France would mean that he would have to stop critiquing the government. And he was like, "Mm, no, 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 not going to do that one. Uh, It was only after Napoleon III fell from power and the Third Republic was proclaimed. I feel like it was more republics than that at that point. Uh, that Hugo finally returned to Paris in 1870, where he was promptly elected to the National Assembly and the Senate. Now, he was elected to office, like, immediately. Apparently, when he returned to Paris, he was under the assumption that France was going to offer him the new dictatorship. (laughs) (laughs) And he wrote in his journals, dictatorship is a crime. This is a crime I am going to commit. Wow. That's a big dick energy. No lie, though. <laughs> yeah. No lie. Uh, that's like my my grandpa, uh, may he rest in peace, uh, used to say about America that what we needed was a dictator to clean everything up for a couple of years and then just leave. And he's like, and I will bear this burden <laughs> and do this job. And I was like, okay, grandpa, here's your scotch. Have a good time playing dominoes. <laughs> uh, needless to say, this did not work out for him. Um, when the Prussians invaded France in 1870 and descended upon Paris, Hugo, along with many others, had to resort to eating the meat of animals from the Paris Zoo. Ugh. He wrote in his diaries that at one point he had no idea what kind of animal he'd been eating. I I kept whenever I would write his father's name Leopold, my computer tried to autocorrect it to leopard. So in my mind, that's oh. that's definitely. Mm-hmm. Um, now he was separated from his family while all of this was going on, and he feared that he wouldn't survive. He left his children a note saying, "JD Juliet Drouet." She saved my life in December 1851. For me, she underwent exile. Never has her soul forsaken mine. Let those who have loved me love her. Let those who have loved me respect her. She is my widow. That said, Hugo never married Druitt, even though his wife was dead and he totally could have. (laughs) And then... After she died in 1883, Hugo totally, he totally planned to attend her funeral because she was his lover 50 fucking years. But then his uh, remaining family members convinced him not to because it might offend someone. Juliet, you didn't deserve that nonsense. No dick is that good. mm, 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 mm. On March 13th, 1871, Hugo's son Charles died of a heart attack. During Charles's funeral, the Paris Commune erupted, which was essentially, this is reducing it way too much, a group of socialist idealists that tried to annex part of Paris as its own thing, but then the government came in and murdered hundreds of the communards. Uh, Victor opened up his old house in Belgium uh, that he was staying at during his own exile and offered asylum to the escaping commonards. From his position in the Senate, he continued to plead for convicted commonards and fought for complete amnesty, which was finally granted in 1879. That's not funny, but nobody talks about it. And it's really interesting. So those are like the Bohemians, like Ewan McGregor in Moulin Rouge. Yes, yes. Essentially. They're all the artistes wanting yes. to, like, la vie bohème. 
I, I think that they're a little bit less artists and more Eddie Redmayne from Les Mis. I mean, it, it's all, they're all mixed in there. Uh, yeah, I'm pretty sure, like, some of them were, like, communists. I feel like that was something in Moulin Rouge, where it's like, this guy's a songwriter, that guy's a communist. Like, pretty that much. guy's an narcoleptic. Like, you know, they're all... Right? Wasn't one of them, one of them had narcolepsy. The, the, that the, sounds the, right. Yes, I haven't watched the Argentinian that did the Roxanne. He was narcoleptic. Was that John Leguizamo? No, but he was also in it. He was also in it. <laughs> anyway, two years after Charles died, his other son, Francois Victor, died of tuberculosis at the age of 45. His fucking only child, one of five, to outlive him was poor fucking Adele uh. following dudes that do not want her to Barbados. Um, I wasn't sure where else to put this, so in the interest of the world's worst segue, which is my favorite thing to do. For much of his life, Hugo reportedly hosted around 30 guests for dinner every night. His party trick was to shove an entire orange in his mouth, then fill his cheeks with as many lumps of sugar as possible, and then churn all of it up in his mouth and glug down two glasses of kirsch before swallowing everything. Neat! First of all, who the fuck was cooking for 30 people every night? I know it wasn't fucking Juliet. No. And I know it wasn't his, his fucking actual wife. Like... Fuck that noise. Y'all can feed your own fucking selves. Get it, was the sa- it was the same servants that he's making take his clothes and lock him naked uh, in a room until he hands him a chapter. They were not being Those paid poor enough. servants. Also, like, when he's in his mid-80s, one of his sons definitely walks in on him, like, fucking a chambermaid, and is like, you go, I guess. <laughs> uh. Um. Also... Why, though? Like, why? I can't imagine anyone asked him to. This is not a trick. This is something that fucking frat boys do when they're drunk or trying to actually get into the... This is hazing. This is a fraternity hazing ritual. Mm. This reminds me of... There was an Am I the Asshole post. It's so sad that this is, like, eerily similar. Where this girlfriend... This girl is like, oh, yeah, like, I went to go visit my boyfriend's family for the first time. And I was really nervous. And they, like, live in Florida. And they have, like, oranges or whatever. And they're like, oh, we do this, like, tradition every Saturday morning. And the tradition is eating an orange whole, unpeeled, like an apple. And she's, like, peeling her orange. And they're like, no, you have to eat it, peel and all. She's like, I would prefer not to. I'd like to not do that. And they're like, it's better that way. It's like, no, it's not. No. It is not. I don't give a shit how good your oranges are. You're not supposed to eat the peel. It's very bitter. It's very gross. Nature gave you slices. Why not take advantage? Victor, just why? I mean, obviously, like, I'm kind of surprised that this was his party trick, because I would have sworn you were going to say it was his penis. So I guess he has more than one party trick. Mm. For his 80th birthday, there was a citywide celebration. Paris changed the name of the Avenue de Lourdes. Avenue de Elau. Let's go with De Allow. De Allow, okay. To Avenue Vic... Avenue... That's the word I'm gonna get fucking stuck on. To Avenue Victor Hugo. Half a million marchers... See, I wrote archers, but I meant marchers. Half a million <laughs> archers is a very different vibe. Half a million marchers stretched from the Avenue Victor Hugo to the Champs de Elysees and all the way to the center of Paris. The paraders marched for six hours past Hugo as he sat in the window of his house and just kind of waved at them. Hugo was also presented with uh, Severa Vase, the traditional gift for sovereigns. For the rest of his life, he would have letters addressed to him, <laughs> Victor Hugo, on his avenue. <laughs> like, if you can do that, absolutely do that. I mean, I cannot wait to just change the name of my street to my own name. This is Red Martinez Road. You would be a boulevard. You think a boulevard? Okay, yeah. Red Martinez. I love a boulevard. You know, has a, has a little a certain joie de vivre. I'm into it. Some have said. Um, the next year, when Hugo was dying of cerebral congestion and probably ultra chlamydia, 
He allegedly demanded a pauper's funeral rather than to have any kind of religious blessing or a big fuss made. In 1885, two years after the death of his underappreciated companion, Juliet, Hugo died and was given a national funeral. His body lay in state under the Arc de Triomphe, and he was buried in the Pantheon. I mean, of course he was. You got you had a parade for your birthday. They changed the name of a street after you. You thought they were going to just, like, let that shit fly by? And this is just a year after that, so they were like, hey, you know that big thing we did with half a million people? We're going to do it bigger. Mm-hmm. Um because the government was worried that the funeral would lead to an uprising, so they co-opted the funeral and they made it a big deal, um, so that it would be a big happy deal and not a big angry deal, um, so they would appease the masses and, cre- and quell a socialist uprising. It was the horniest funeral ever. <laughs> the wine shop stayed open and the brothels of Paris closed down for a day of mourning allowing all the city's sex workers to pay their last respects to a loyal client. I did hear about that. Yes. They were all in mourning because they were missing that dick. Yeah. Literary critic Edmund de Goncourt uh, claimed a police officer told him that sex workers even draped their genitals in black crepe as a mark of respect. And according to legend, there was a notable spike in the birth rate nine months later. You know, there's a lot of thing, a lot of things to say about Victor Hugo, but like, honestly, I want the same funeral. Like, I, I when I, when I go, I want everyone to fuck. You like, want that's, ev- that's how I want people to celebrate my passing. You want us all to drape our genitals in like mourning veils? Yeah, absolutely. Like, mm-hmm. just mm-hmm. to end on a weird thing <laughs> about six <laughs> that months. Wasn't the weird thing. No. About 60 (laughs) miles after um, the city formerly known as Saigon, uh, since a temple, this is in Vietnam, um, considered to be the home of Cao Dai, which is a Vietnamese religion with over 5 million devotees. Victor Hugo, as well as Thomas Jefferson and Joan of Arc, are considered to be saints in that religion because they are said to have reached out to the group during seances... And if I were really into seances, like Victor Hugo was, I would totally do that, too. I'm so into that. That is the life and death (laughs) of Victor Hugo. So, as a ghost, I imagine Victor Hugo's also a very horny ghost. Oh, yes. So That ghost that Kesha had sex with? That was Victor Hugo's ghost. I was actually thinking more of like, uh, what was it, Catherine Heigl on Grey's Anatomy? I think she also fucked a ghost. Yes. Well, she fucked her own brain tumor, but that's a different thing. <laughs> that was a season I actually watched. I for never some watched Grey's Anatomy. Reason. I know that there was a ghost fucking. I know that there was a baby deer. It was one point. I have no idea about that. And that someone was considered sexy. Those are what, sure. what I know about Grey's Anatomy. Grey's Anatomy, the show where someone was sexy. I don't think anyone performed any medicine at the, in the show at any time. Certainly <laughs> not. I understand. <laughs> oh, what a fucking dumb show. Are you ready for a self-care plan there, Ren? Does it include fucking? Because that would, you know, in the spirit of Victor Hugo, it should include fucking. That was, like, my last four self-care plans. (laughs) So, um, in honor of Victor Hugo giving his wife a bat in an envelope, I'm going to use this self-care plan to give you some rabies prevention tips. (laughs) Because that's the best tie-in I could think of. I love it. I love this obscure angle. I'm into it. Vaccinate pets and keep them away. From outdoor and wild animals. Don't approach wild animals or animals inside the zoo. And for the love of God, don't eat them. Please don't don't eat eat them. them. Just leave them alone. This is not a restaurant. No. Keep bats out of your home and stay away from areas where bats are, such as cave. Such as cave. (laughs) Such as caves. (laughs) 
Such as caves and love letters from Victor Hugo. And Ren Martinez's household. Her parents' parents' house. house, (laughs) Where they are being stalked and will eventually be killed by Nosferatu. Well? Well. (laughs) No, I remember. Bats are great, first of all. Let's all support bats. Everyone should have bat boxes to uh, support your local bat colonies. They're really good for the environment. And they eat a lot of mosquitoes. So, like, they're super cool. Yeah. Don't eat or touch them. I mean, yes. Don't, like, you know, be all up in their business. Um, Like any wild animal. Don't be up in their business. But, like, let's support our local wildlife and our... Yes. uh, And our local rabies vectors, such as bats and foxes. Not possums. They're not rabies vectors. They are not rabies vectors. You should still support them, though. Support possums. That's going to be all for us this week, folks. If you would like to continue supporting possums, you should check us out at thisfnguypod.com, at thisfnguypod on Twitter, uh, thisfnguypod on Patreon. That has nothing in it yet, but it will. I um, have one episode. Well, when we have our seance, we can call the spirit of the lost episode of this effing guy somewhere. And, uh, oh, we do have a Facebook, this fucking guy. Uh, if you've come to us from Facebook, hello, welcome. Hello. I hope you've enjoyed this episode about this man's dick. As always, <laughs> I'm Ginger Golub. I am Ren Martinez. Here's a bonus self-care tip. Go the fuck to sleep. I plan on it. Yeah, girl. Also, don't be this fucking guy. Peace. Peace. This fucking 